Jesus, sometimes I can almost sense the heaviness of pressure mounting and the ominous presence of darkness around me. I recognize my enemy as at work again. Whether he's trying to discourage me to get sidetracked, to fall into temptation, to give up, or to take my eyes off you, he's always hanging around. I need your supernatural power, Lord, to stand strong and not surrender. Physical force won't help because you've said the weapons of our warfare are different from those in this world. As believers, ours are powerful and can demolish strongholds and lies. These supernatural weapons originate from you. By your precious name and blood, Jesus, I'm asking you to confuse Satan and cancel his attempts to shut me and my influence down. Help me not to become discouraged or to give in when heavy times of testing come. When I'm tired and weak, you are strong, Lord, and you are my only source of help. I cannot fight without you. Teach me how to pray and to trust you to pull down those strongholds that keep me or others helpless. Guard me from isolation that leaves me exposed and vulnerable. I believe you destroyed the power of my enemy by your death and resurrection. But like a bad penny, my enemy keeps showing up, whispering lies, twisting truth, and attempting to inflate my selfish pride. He never gives up. I am declaring the devil and his demons liars today, Lord. With the power of your precious name and blood, I agree with your word and the truth that you are in me and that you are greater than my enemy who wants to rule the world. You, your word, and prayer, Lord, are my secret weapons. I belong to you, and that fills me with a powerful God confidence. I want to constantly dress in the spiritual armor you give me. Help me use it to defend others from Satan's fiery darts as well. No one and nothing can snatch me away from your hand. Strengthen my faith, Lord. Forgive my sins so that I may be clean in your righteousness. Make me brave so I can stand and fight the spiritual battles in my life and in our world. Give me your wisdom and discernment so I won't be caught off guard. Together, Lord, we'll win. Because in truth, you already have. In Jesus' powerful name, before which every knee shall bow. Amen. The Apostle Paul talks about our spiritual battle and vindicates his apostleship in this last section of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, going all the way to chapter 13. As we read these chapters, we can discover how the enemy is literally attacking Paul and the ministry at the Corinth church. Like a virus, lies about Paul were spreading. Folks were saying things like this about the apostle. It seems hard for us to understand. They said he's not a true apostle since he lacked credentials from the Jerusalem church. He's not a true apostle because, well, his motives were insincere. That his physical presence was so weak that he didn't deserve any kind of respect. These false leaders said that his letters were bold, but he would never back up his words in person. And lastly, that Paul's promises could never, ever, ever be depended on. You know, this has been happening for centuries, where folks literally are attacking the messenger so that the message might be discounted. Keep in mind that Paul was not defending himself in these chapters. He was defending his apostolic office, which was a big deal. Because this was the position that he was given in order to proclaim God's word powerfully. If the enemy could destroy the messenger, perhaps the enemy could discount the message. Well, keep in mind that this may not seem very relevant I mean, it's a letter to a church in Corinth hundreds and hundreds of years ago. What's the big deal today? 
Well, I think you're going to find out that this text is so very, very relevant. So before we dig into 2 Corinthians 10, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, you are a God of compassion. You are slow to get angry, and you are filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Your ways are perfect, and your actions are just. But Lord, there's so much going on that we don't see. The enemy at this time is at work spreading lies and loving the chaos. But you are also working. You are working in some amazing ways. So we pray even today that you would open up our eyes to how you're using your church in our culture today. We pray, Father, for our land, its leaders, the justice system, the first responders, and actually the weather. We pray for peace, Father, that only you can bring. We pray for healing for families and cities which have been torn apart by unrest and winds. We pray, dear Father, for the church, for your church, which you told us will never be destroyed. No one can beat church. We pray specifically, Father, for churches in our area, that they would be faithful and they would proclaim your word. We pray for the chapel, and we pray for connection, and we pray for Northbridge. Lord, there's so many other churches and so many other congregations and so many other believers. Father, would you encourage them this day during these dark days. We ask you right here for our community that you would teach us this day. Help us apply your truth. We love you, Father. And we do thank you, especially for the gathering that uh, meets right here and spread out all over our land. We pray these things in your son's mighty name. Amen. If you would turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to start off by reading verses 1 and 2 and then jump to verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 1. Now I, Paul, appeal to you with gentleness and the kindness of Christ. Though I realize that you think I am timid in person and bold only when I write from far away. Well, I'm begging you now so that when I come, I won't have to be bold with those who think we act from human motives. Then over to verse 8. I may seem to be boasting too much about the authority given to me or given to us by the Lord. But our authority builds you up. It doesn't tear you down. So I will not be ashamed of using my authority. As I mentioned in the introduction, this is the last part of the letter. Paul is switching gears. And he's starting off, well, begging, encouraging those folks who are listening to some false leaders to really... Accept his authority. Paul's not afraid to use his God-given authority. And he begins his final thoughts by a gentle appeal to his leadership. The enemy has tried to destroy the message of grace, which he so faithfully preached by disqualifying the messenger. One good thing, as we look back, is that Paul wasn't a hypocrite. He didn't speak one way and act a different way. Paul's motives were pure. In fact, 
his whole team's motives were pure. And this is so unusual in leadership. I guess it's always a question. Is my leader, is the one who planted this church, Paul, are you trying to give us some of your advice? Or is this really coming from God? Because if it's coming from God, I, I, I want to listen really well. If it's coming from you, Paul, well, thanks for your opinion. So Paul wanted to make it crystal clear. He wanted his friends to understand that his authority, that God-given authority, actually is good. Because God-given authority builds you up. Or edifies you. Actually, what Paul is saying is that my authority, and I've used my authority, to make you folks stronger. Paul wants to grace others, which means being kind and loving. Actually, like a parent would be with a child. Sometimes we think that building up just means just protecting or it might even mean, uh, you know, we just want to compliment. We just want to make sure everyone understands how wonderful a person they are. And I think there's times for that. But Paul says his leadership doesn't tear you down or beat you up like the present leadership is doing in the Corinth church against Paul. I think what Paul is actually saying is that his leadership pleads, encourages, and urges. The reason I know that, if you look over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, Paul was writing another letter to a different church, but Paul was sharing his leadership style. He was sharing what kind of things he was doing with the church. And he says this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And you know, church at Thessalonica, that we treated each one of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and his glory. Paul is describing God-given authority and what it looks like in the church. Maybe you could even look at these three verbs, pleading, encouraging, and urging, as, uh, well, a past, a present, and a future type of action. Let me explain. When Paul says he pleads with them. Oftentimes, it's asking them to respond to God's Word. Perhaps there is sin in their life. Perhaps they're treating God casually, but it's this pleading, hey, you need to listen to God. You need to confess your sin. You need to stay connected with God. You can't keep going down this path and not think that God's going to smile or, or, or going to approve it. Just like a teenager, or now a junior higher. <laughs> we as parents need to plead. You're making a poor choice. You're rebelling in a wrong way. It's going to hurt you in the future. And this is what Paul did with his authority. But he also encouraged. He also pumped their tires. Life is hard. Life is difficult. Hey, hey, you know what? You can do this. You can make this. Our God, and maybe share truth after truth after truth, helping them understand their position in Jesus. And lastly, Paul urged, which to me is more of a future tense. Hey, I want you to keep listening. I want you to understand what truth is and to walk in it. I'm going to urge you, I'm going to, well, pray that you will listen, you will walk in that way. Then Paul switches gears just a little bit. 
And he reminds the church that there is a battle going on, a battle for your mind. In other words, he was seeing the enemy make some headway in the Corinth church. These folks were godly people. These folks listened to God. Remember, Paul spent 18, 20 months there. And he encouraged them to walk with God. And when they left, they were doing so. But these false leaders came in and started to demean and started to tear down Paul's authority and Paul's message. He saw that they were losing in the battle for their mind. They were listening to lies rather than truth. He says, you're experiencing that now. And I just want you to know, Paul says, you're going to expect even more of this in the future. You need to protect your mind. The enemy's always going to go after your thinking, how you think. Now, let me remind you all the way through the scriptures, not just right here, that the Bible addresses the mind, talks a lot about how we think. Solomon wrote this in Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart, or in this case, your mind, above all else, for it determines the course of your life. The man who was given all wisdom said, if there's anything to protect, if there's anything to guard, guard the way you think. And then Peter, one of the apostles, the fiery one, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, he says, prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Just remember that, that you, it's going to take work for you to protect and prepare your mind for the battle. In Philippians 4, 8, Paul writes, while in prison, so uh, he writes chapter 4, verse 8, and now, Dear brothers and sisters, just one final thing. Fix, fix, keep fixing every single day, every single moment. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think, think again today, tomorrow. Think every moment about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. You see, I think Paul was pretty blunt right here. He wants the church to be strong and to stand firm during these dark times. In order for the church to do that, it's going to need to think well and think right and understand what it means to know God and to trust his word. Now, the enemy wants exactly the opposite. Okay, this isn't news for most of us. The enemy wants to lie about God and lie about his word so that you and I waver in my faith and have doubts about God. In fact, Paul states right here, he does not want anyone to know God or be intimate with God. Because a rich relationship with God changes everything. How you live, how you think, how you act. Now, what's amazing, but it's true, is that the enemy either isn't that smart Or the enemy just does what works. And way back in Genesis 3, in the garden, his strategy started right there. And it has not changed. Basically, if you remember back then, as he appeared in the garden to Eve first, he said, did God really say not to eat this fruit? Did he he really say that? Now, I'm pretty sure the first couple understood what God said. (laughs) But all of a sudden, just a little hint. Did he really say, don't eat? 
So that's kind of a doubt, kind of maybe God didn't really realize that or maybe he was just kind of joking that day. No. And then the killer, you won't die. Now God said if you eat the fruit, you're going to die. You will. But the enemy comes back and says, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not only bringing doubt, but I'm also saying very clearly, you won't die. <laughs> Trust me, I've been around for a while. You won't die. Now, we both know, or all know, that wow, we knew what God said, and we knew there were supreme ramifications. So Paul jumps in, chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, and he addresses the enemy's strategy. Let's read, starting at verse 3. You can follow along in the screen if you don't have a Bible. So Paul says this, we are all human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy Every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. I encourage you to mark your Bibles up, and I would encourage you to underline that sentence. It's huge. And then he says, we capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. And after you have become fully obedient, we'll punish everyone who remains disobedient. Paul jumps right in, in particular, and addresses the enemy's strategy in the Corinth church. In his case, it was lies about him which diminished the gospel, the message, God's life-giving word. In our case, it's probably other lies, deception, or half-truths. The enemy is relentless in setting up obstacles in knowing Jesus. The enemy does not want you to know God or trust God. This causes delays or frustrations. I, I think what Paul is saying is this, if... If some of you have been involved in an obstacle course, and almost every one of you have been involved in detours, or maybe you've watched Ninja Warrior on TV, but the whole goal is there's these obstacles, and the goal is to be able to finish the race. But all kinds of things are set up to impede you, to stop you from doing that, maybe from failing. Well, our goal is to know Christ, to become more intimate with him, to understand all of his life-giving words. So what the enemy does is, what can I put in their way? Maybe a detour. Maybe it'll just frustrate them. Isn't it true, especially some longer detours on country roads? You're like, oh, man, why did I even come? You're looking on Waze. You're looking on Google Maps. You're going to try to outsmart. They, you know, and you... And finally say, oh, you know what? It's not even worth it. Grandma doesn't need to see me today. I'm going home. You know? And I think that's how it is sometimes in our life. Jesus isn't that much... Uh, he's not worth it. Uh, <laughs> you win today. I don't need to know him better. Now, how does that sometimes work today? I think usually it works where we substitute doing good instead of what's best or what is right. Think about that. Most of you, if you look at your schedules or how you spend your time or how you spend your funds or all the different things, we usually do good things. No one's going to even argue that fact. But if the enemy continues to convince us that good is okay and not best, then I think he's going to make headway. 
Because the rich relationship with Christ changes everything, including on how we spend our time and what we focus on doing. The enemy does not want you or me to know Jesus and will work hard, even relentless, on subtle lies. Encouraging what I would call partial obedience. Well, you know what? I mostly obey you, God. Or I mostly trust you. And we think that's okay. Now, we know that even though we're human beings, those who have come to faith are new creations and do not operate in the same way as those who are not being controlled by the Spirit or those that don't even have the Spirit. We know that the culture is influential. And if we're not careful, we are going to take the bait. The question to ask, probably for each one of us, is this. Do we sound like, think like, or act like the redeemed that live around me? Do I have the same focus? Do I have the same priorities? And if you do, and I I don't know, but if you do, my guess is, is that the culture has influenced you, not Jesus. And this is, again, we have to remember, the world's philosophies are enticing. The enemy promises are half-truths, but they always bring a harvest of pain. Strongholds, the words that Paul used here, is a military term. It it talks about being a fortified place. And if we don't walk with God and we are more influenced by the world or the culture, we begin to develop strongholds in our mind, ways of thinking poorly or wrongly. But Paul says this, the difference We use God's mighty weapons. We use God's mighty weapons to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and false logic, arguments and speculations. It is God that keeps us thinking right. It is understanding what God's word that helps us think rightly. Now, any thoughts which go contrary to God's truth or kingdom philosophy, well, if you're walking with God, you don't think that way. Jesus, well, let me remind you, especially on the Sermon on the Mount, if some of you have spent some time in the Gospels, but Jesus would talk very differently. He came to change all the price tags. We didn't understand a lot of this kingdom stuff, and Jesus came in to proclaim that the king has arrived. He would talk like this. You have heard it, or the culture says this, but if you're walking with me, if you're going to be a follower, this is what I say. Let me give you an example. The culture says, don't murder anyone. That's a good thing, you know, don't, don't kill anyone. But Jesus came back and said, well, what I want you to know is don't be angry with anyone. Because if you are, it's just like murder to me. Well, wow, we can justify anger sometimes. But Jesus said that's not how we operate. Adultery. He says this, don't commit adultery. We would all agree with that. That's a a great principle. But what I want you to know, if you're listening to me, I don't want you to lust after another woman. (laughs) It's just like committing adultery. In my eyes. 
You don't understand it. I want you to think differently. Walk with me and I will help you. Well, what about love? This is a great one. Culture says love your neighbor. Love those who are kind to you. Love those who love you. Jesus says, no, no, no. What I want you to understand, I want you to love your enemy. The people that harm you, the people that talk against you, the people that say, whoa, (laughs) wait a minute. But see, if all of us are just thinking, hey, I'm not supposed to murder, not supposed to commit adultery, not supposed to, or I am supposed to just love my neighbor, we're all thinking we're doing well. Jesus said some of these things have snuck in. They become strongholds. And I want you to know when you walk with me, things are really different. In fact, if you turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it'll be up on the screen for you. The Apostle Paul writes this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by making you really disciplined, by making sure changing you by the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You see, God's weapons destroy every obstacle, any impediment to knowing Jesus. I love Eugene's Peterson's paraphrase right here in the message. And and he says this at the end of this text. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience and maturity. So, here's the big question. What are God's mighty weapons? What is it? What are God's mighty weapons? Now, most of you know I'm not that clever. But today I thought I would be extra clever. So I'm letting you know I'm being clever. All right? God's weapons are three Ps. Three Ps. All right? There's the promises weapon. There's the prayer weapon. And there's the praise weapon. Let's look at the promises weapon first, which, again, I needed to make it a P, otherwise I would just call it God's Word, okay? But since we're being very cute this morning, we're, we're going to look at the promises weapon. Now, the key of being successful in spiritual warfare is becoming proficient at wielding the sword of the Spirit or the sword of the Word of God against the lies we Believe. It is impossible to fight error without knowing God's word. Lies are subtle, they deviate from the truth, and they soon become a stronghold in our minds. Don't you love in Joshua chapter 1? The new leader is taking over Israel. They are walking over the Jordan into the promised land. There are walled cities and giants. One of the greatest leaders, if not the greatest leader of Israel, has just died. Handed the baton over to Joshua. And this is what God says. Joshua chapter 1, starting at verse 7. Be strong and very courageous, Joshua. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you, uh, the law. Do not deviate. Do not deviate. This is so cool from them. Turning either to the right or the left. I was just listen to them. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Study this book continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then you will prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
Study continually so you know and obey. Now, our culture, for the most part, at least in the evangelical church, says, hey, if you have devotions, that's good. And I think it is. Hey, you know what? I have a devotional I read every single morning um, while I'm having my coffee. That's good. Those are all good things. But I got to tell you is that I'm not so sure a casual approach to God's Word is going to help protect our minds. I'm not saying go to seminary or enroll in some Bible school. But what I am saying is that the scriptures say study continually so that you know and obey. This isn't my advice. This is God's advice. Is that there ought to be times where you embrace and understand and dig into God's word. And then secondly, meditate. Meditate on it day and night. Well, my advice, probably the best way to meditate, I think, is to memorize. Is to memorize God's Word. And to, I, I think we think memory or memorizing, again, is for kids. In Psalm chapter 1, starting in verse 2 and 3, the psalmist writes here, But they delight in the law of the Lord, those who want joy, meditating on it day and night. These folks are going to be like trees planted along the river bank, bearing fruit each season. doesn't even matter what the season is. Their leaves will never wither, and they will prosper in all they do. If I am meditating on God's word night and day. You know, this last week we had a couple of Crosspoint Group's kind of launch. And this last week, we introduced to these two groups something called the Weekly Walk, something to be able to encourage the leadership in these groups to be able to help them walk through life. Well, one of the things that we're initiating, not only trying to encourage people to know God's Word, understand God's Word, apply God's Word, which is so critical for all of us. That's why we're encouraging crosspoint groups. But one part of this is going to be recommended memory. So that each week, someone, if the group so desires, hey, this is a great verse for me to commit to memory. And this week's, it's Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Now the prayer weapon. Yeah, God's word is important. It's going to help us protect our mind, think rightly. But prayer weapon. In Proverbs 15, 8, God says, He delights in the prayers of the upright. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 17 and 25, Paul just says, Never stop praying. This is so important. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, pray for us. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul is again writing, and, and he says, Hey, I just want you to know, church, we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then in the name of the Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you'll be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of God's grace. You see, prayer demonstrates our dependence on God. You can ask yourself again, a good question is, how much time do I pray? And, and honestly, if it's not much, probably you could follow up, I guess I'm not that dependent on God. I guess I can live my life my own way. I, I don't need his advice. I don't need his strength. I don't need his power. Now, most of us would never say that. But when we don't pray, we don't depend on God. Because God's power is released as we pray. In fact, I think it's a weapon that I'm using more and more as I age. 
This week, I fought hard on my knees for a couple. I fought hard on my knees for these two new groups that were starting. I fought hard on my knees, and you could go right through the list. And, and I, I begged God. I talked to God. I asked God. I saw relationships reunited. I saw marriages strengthened. And it's not, I don't think, just because I prayed. I, I don't believe that. But I was part of it. The last one. And I am so excited about this and I only have a few minutes. But I am telling you, the last one is a praise weapon. Now most of you, as you grow up in the church, will say, hey, my weapons are God's word and prayer. That's cool. But I also see really clearly in Scripture that a weapon is praise. Let me give you the background here. King Jehoshaphat awesome name, right? He was a good king. We've talked a little bit about uh, kings in the past, and, and he was one that honored God and loved God. But this story is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and we're not going to read the whole thing, but I would encourage you to read it. But King Jehoshaphat was in big trouble. Three nations declared war on Judah, and King Jehoshaphat was terrified. He just was. So what he did, he begged God for guidance, and he asked the people to pray and fast. How cool is that? He's using God's weapons. But let me read to you some advice. He gets this advice from a spirit-filled Levite. It's found 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I'm going to start reading at verse 15. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Now, let me remind you, three, three nations have just declared war. Big, powerful nations. This is God's word, which literally in the context does not make any sense. All right? This is what he says. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army. For the battle is not yours, it's God's. Now I guess stop there and go like, okay, okay. Uh, my mind says, I listen to you, God. But I'm looking out there and there's a lot of spears and there's a lot of arrows and there's a lot of horses, chariots. Go on. Tomorrow, tomorrow, march out against them. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions and stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you. O people of Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground. And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping God. Then the Levites from the clans of Koath and Korah stood to praise the Lord and the God of Israel with a loud shout early the next morning. They're listening. They're listening. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tokoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, people, listen to me. All you people of Judah and Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you'll be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. Folks, they're marching. They're listening. I'm pretty sure they're all talking right now. They're going like, oh, I, the, what are we doing? And so Jehoshaphat just calms their nerves just a little bit. All right? And then in verse 21, the king shares the strategy. This is going to blow your mind. After consulting with the people, scriptures tell us, the kings appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. At that very moment, they began to sing and gave praise. 
The Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. So they're moving. They're walking. Jehoshaphat stops the whole crew and says, Hold it. Here's the strategy. We want our worship team to lead the way. You guys go first. And if you're on the worship team, you're going, Whoa, time out. This is not good strategy. All we do is sing. I'm telling you, swords hurt, arrows pierce. So you're saying, walk forward. Yes! And they do. And as they start to sing and praise God, God does the fighting. God does something amazing, a miracle, that all of the enemies start fighting each other. And the enemy was destroyed by God's mighty hand. Praise and worship realign our thinking. When I come on Sundays, I am so excited. Father, I've had a hard week. Father, I've had a trying week. Father, would you help me? Help me share, help me sing truth. Help me worship you. Help me adore you. Practically speaking, the same thing happens to us today. Now let me say this. We use all of God's weapons to capture every rebellious thought. That means cultural thought. That means anything that's against the scriptures. All the partial obedience. And teach the joy of full obedience by submitting to God's ways. <laughs> Paul was addressing how the enemy was going to advance in the Corinth church. We are the same enemy in the same strategy today. So many of you know in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul writes this to a very mature church. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. You see, we are in a war. And the first priority for the enemy is our mind. Probably not going to... Try to say, hey, God's a jerk. Don't even listen to him. Most of us, we know that's a lie. We do. But what about all the lies? You know what? You just had the diagnosis of, of cancer. Does God care about you? God doesn't care about you. What about the job that you just lost? You know what? If God really loved you, he'd he'd give you a job. What about the loneliness that you expelled? Don't don't you think that if God was really a great God, that he would give you a companion? Well, what about a bank account? How come we're so concerned? I I don't even know if we're going to have food next. You, You know what? If God was really God, he would take care of that. You'd have so much money. You would have health. You'd drive the nicest cars. You know, service, it takes effort. You know, you really need to rest a little bit. You're tired tonight. Really, don't, don't help those kids that don't want to memorize. You know, you, you probably should take a break. And I think they're all legitimate things we need to do. But I'm just saying that is the enemy over and over and over and over. Wow. If the enemy works so hard on our minds, I guess that is what I want to encourage you to do. 
is to protect your mind. Use God's amazing weapons. Study God's word so you know the truth. Stay on your knees and praise and worship with abandon. I just want you to know that we all are weak. We all fall. But we are so strong when we use God's weapons. Now normally, we would have at the end of a message, prayer, which I will still pray. And then we would all rise and we would worship and adore God. I guess today I'm going to ask you to do something different. After I pray, I'd like you to just sit. Our worship team is going to come up and is going to sing over you today. I'd love you to keep your heads bowed. I'd love you to shut your eyes. I'd love you to just listen to those words. Let the Holy Spirit use His words today to convict, to encourage, to prod. And may you leave strong and courageous today in the battle against our enemy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for these stories. I thank you, dear God, for reminders. Lord, there are times I'm just so casual. Or I think that I can make decisions without you, and I don't need your word. I don't need your advice. I don't need to stay on my knees. Oh, God, help us. Help us use your weapons. Prepare us for battle. Sharpen our minds. And may we listen to you with all of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.